Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. Happy Thursday morning. It is September 21st, 2023. Great to be with you on a Thursday. And thanks again to Vanessa Denhagarmo, host of Epiphany on Ave Maria Radio, for tag-teaming it with me this week. As I was mentioning to my listeners in my Michigan Hour this morning, uh, Vanessa is helping me out because Deacon Dom and I are wrapping up a vacation in central Italy and also kind of a work vacation trip, as I mentioned uh, yesterday as well in doing a little combination of both. So, so far it's been terrific. We've been exploring some new places or possible retreats for pilgrimage, including this one location. And I'll be talking about it in the future in Southeast Umbria. That is just crazy gorgeous and the perfect location for a faith-based retreat. It's just unbelievable. It's in the mountains. It's stunning. It's peaceful. It's restored. It's just off the charts. And that's what I love about Umbria because it really is the, I think, untouched area of Italy. Trying to keep it a secret though, because we don't want all the tourists like we have in other parts of Italy, so just Tuscany and the Amalfi Coast. But anyhow, uh, more on that as we uh, move through the next couple of weeks and toward our pilgrimage, Wine and Shrine, and also our La Doce Fide pilgrimage. We have back-to-back pilgrimages coming up in October and November. On the show today, someone you know and love if you're an EWTN TV viewer or radio listener, the one, the only Steve Ray has a new book out from our friends at Ascension Press, and it's awesome. I hope you get a copy of it. It's Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. As I was mentioning earlier when I introduced this to my Michigan audience for today's lineup, When we think of Genesis, I think most of us think of, obviously, Adam and Eve, the creation story. We think of Noah and the flood, all kinds of other things. But do we realize how much history, church history, God history is in Genesis? Well, Steve dives into that deeply, but in a way we can all understand. And actually, we're spending the entire rest of the program after the news this morning with Steve. So I do hope that you enjoy it. I think you will. He is so down to earth and makes it easy for us to understand Scripture. Weather-wise, we are looking at colder temperatures and locally heavy rainfall in the forecast for the Pacific Northwest into the Great Basin and Northern Rockies. Then from the plains to the Great Lakes region, above normal temps expected through the middle of the week. It is a Thursday. Thanks for tuning in to EWTN. Let's get started with the news. LifeNews.com reporting the Ohio Supreme Court issuing a ruling allowing language in the Issue 1 ballot summary that confirms a ballot measure would allow killing unborn children in abortions up to birth. The Ohio Supreme Court handing a partial victory to the pro-life advocates opposing Issue 1 as LifeNews reports that the term unborn child can remain in the ballot language of the measure that would put a right to kill babies in abortions in the state constitution. Ohio abortion advocates sued the board over ballot wording that omitted the term fetus, which it prefers to use to dehumanize the babies killed in abortions. The state Supreme Court rejecting the petitioner's arguments that the language introduced an ethical judgment, saying that it does not establish that ballots board's language constitutes improper persuasion. And the Office of the Secretary of State saying it was pleased by the court's ruling. 
Pope Francis praising the apostolic zeal of St. Daniel Comboni, an Italian missionary priest and bishop who fought to end slavery in Africa. Catholic News Agency reporting Comboni, as the Holy Father said, witnessed the horror of slavery as a missionary in the mid-19th century in what is now Sudan. In his writings, he spoke of slavery more than 450 times and decried how the slave trade degrades humankind and turns on human beings, endowed like all of us with the light of intelligence, a ray of divinity, and the image of the Most Holy Trinity to the dismal condition of animals. The Holy Father sharing the energetic and prophetic life story of the founder of the missionary orders during his general audience on September 28th. The United States Catholic bishops are calling on the faithful to embrace radical solidarity with mothers who are facing difficult or challenging pregnancies next month, with the Church in the U.S. observes as Respect Life Month and has done so since 1973. Again, CNA has this story. It explains that Arlington Bishop Michael Burbage, the chair of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops and their Pro-Life Activities Committee, echoing St. John Paul II's call for radical solidarity, which means, according to the bishop, putting our love for them into action and putting their needs before our own. He added the new mindset requires that we come alongside vulnerable mothers in profound friendship, compassion, and support for both them and their preborn children. This again is in a statement written by Burbridge on the anniversary of Respect Life Month. Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee grilling Attorney General Merrick Garland, Ohio Republican Jim Jordan, yesterday accusing the Justice Department of protecting President Biden and his son Hunter while illegitimately targeting former President Donald Trump. An investigation that curtailed attempts to interview Mr. Biden by giving the transit team a secret a heads up. An investigation that notified Mr. Biden's defense counsel about a pending search warrant. Garland's testimony before the committee yesterday was his first since federal grand juries indicted Trump twice. Garland also recently appointed a special counsel to handle the investigation and prosecution of Hunter Biden on gun and tax charges. The hearing also comes as the Republican-controlled House is moving toward impeachment proceedings against Joe Biden. Scott Kimbler tells us there are still questions after a Marine Corps F-35 disappeared for hours when a pilot ejected over South Carolina on Sunday. Randolph White, who lives in Williamsburg County, around 100 miles north of Charleston, where debris from the plane was eventually found, says he actually heard the plane fly over and crash. I heard a, a screeching between a screech and a whistle. I said, what in the world is this? And I heard a boom in my whole house shook. The incident has raised questions about how the military could lose a multi-million dollar fighter jet. A spokesperson for Joint Base Charleston, where the aircraft was based, said the plane's transponder was not working for an as-yet undetermined reason, making it nearly impossible to track. The pilot was taken to a local medical facility in stable condition. I'm Scott Kimbler. Hundreds of illegal immigrants have been pouring across the Mexico border into the tiny Texas town of Eagle Pass. City of Eagle Pass declared an emergency disaster because they're getting overwhelmed. That's Congressman Tony Gonzalez, who says his border district does not have the resources to keep up. The Texas Republican says in El Paso, the feds have more than 6,000 illegal immigrants in custody. More keep coming, so they're releasing 1,000 people a day onto the streets. Most are from Venezuela and travel through Mexico on a train. Meanwhile, as Scott Pringle tells us, Staten Island residents are not happy about another migrant shelter in their borough. 
Well, police had to make 10 arrests, mostly for disorderly conduct, after Staten Island residents showed up Tuesday night to protest at the city's latest migrant shelter to open. This is in Midland Beach. Well, reports are demonstrators tried to block a bus carrying migrants to the facility. We had agreed to be peaceful, and we were. But we weren't saying anything detrimental. We just didn't. We said, go to Manhattan. Keep trying. See what happens, you know. We're the only, the only borough that's going to keep fighting. The protest comes after previous rowdy demonstrations on Staten Island over a different migrant shelter at a former Catholic school. More than six weeks after the deadly wildfire on Maui, there are still discrepancies between the official narrative and eyewitness accounts. Some people say their vehicles were directed away from escape routes because of downed power lines. But Hawaiian Electric has maintained that its lines were de-energized more than six hours before the fire started to quickly spread through the historic town of Lahaina. The utility adds that it wasn't aware of any of its vehicles or crews blocking roads or evacuation routes. The Maui police chief saying his officers tried to keep people away from downed power lines because they believed the lines were still electrified. And Craig Michaels tells us former owners of a Davenport apartment building that partially collapsed in May will remain as defendants in a lawsuit. Yesterday, a judge refused motions for dismissal by two companies that argued they didn't own the apartment building when it collapsed. But plaintiffs say the companies either neglected issues with the building or didn't disclose them upon sale to the new owner. Seven suits related to the May collapse are pending in Scott County Court. The United Auto Workers strike against the big three U.S. automakers now on day number six. Nearly 13,000 auto workers remain on strike at three plants in Ohio, Michigan, and Missouri, and that number could rise in the next few days. The UAW president, Sean Fain, announcing more workers will join the picket line tomorrow if a fair deal is not brought to the table. They're demanding better pay and pension benefits. An age limit for politicians is being proposed in Congress, but it's not sitting well with some older lawmakers. Institutional memory gone. The ability to have elected persons in the people's house. That's Texas Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee. She's 73 years old. She would only have two years left under that proposal, which would cap political service at age 75. Politicians' age has come into the spotlight thanks to health scares from Senators Feinstein and Senator McConnell. And finally, in our news segment on a Thursday morning, speaking of politics, actor Matthew McConaughey says, according to Michael Kastner, he's not running for governor of Texas, at least not yet. All right, all right, all right. McConaughey was a guest on a podcast on Monday when the question came up. He said he's raising three children right now, and that's keeping him busy enough. McConaughey considered a run for governor in 2021 against Republican Governor Greg Abbott and Democratic candidate Beto O'Rourke, but he decided against it. On the podcast, he discussed his first children's book, Just Because, which was published last week. Stay tuned. It is a Thursday morning. Thanks for listening to EWTN. Steve Ray, All About Genesis, coming up next. This program is brought to you by the following nonprofit underwriter. CMF Curo is the Catholic health care option you've been searching for. From concierge service to ethical consultations to partnerships with one of the nation's largest health care sharing ministries, CMF Curo offers a pro-life, Catholic approach to your overall health and well-being. Find out today if CMF Curo is right for you. Call 833-GET-CURO. That's 833-G-E-T-C-U-R-O. Or visit MyCatholicHealthCare.com. You and your spouse are invited to cruise with Royal Caribbean this January, along with Father Michael Schmitz, Archbishop Nauman, Al, Teresa, Dr. Ray, and many others. 
Get away with your spouse on a fun, relaxing, and rejuvenating cruise with inspiring speakers, daily mass, and endless memorable experiences. Father Michael Schmitz comments, you'll encounter an amazing community of couples and speakers, and most importantly, you'll encounter Christ. More details at AveMariaRadio.net. Just click the travel link. This Ave Maria radio program is brought to you in part by Fathom Events. The new feature film, Mother Teresa and Me, is in theaters for one night only, Thursday, October 5th. Mother Teresa and Me weaves together the stories of two women, Mother Teresa, who served the poor with love amidst her dark night of the soul, and Kavita, a young woman who is searching for love while struggling with her unexpected pregnancy. Information at FathomEvents.com. That's FathomEvents.com. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. Welcome back, Catholic Connection. Now, every time we have Steve Ray on, author, speaker, convert, pilgrimage leader, this amazing friend of ours at Ave Maria Radio and EWTN, you know you're going to learn something new about the faith, even if you're well-versed, with many of you already are who listen to our programs but I always love having Steve on because for me, I learned something, and that's why I hope you do too. Now, this time we're talking about his latest book, which is all about Genesis. It's published by Ignatius Press, pretty much hot off the press. It's very recent for Steve. But Steve, I ask you, there have been so many books and commentaries on Genesis, so why did you decide to dive into this now? Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning. I'm holding the book up right now so everyone can see it. Oh, I can see it. Um <laughs> Well, you know, what I found is that there really aren't many books on Genesis, although Protestants have a lot of them. There's a lot of commentaries, on, and I have almost all of those. But for Catholics, there's very little, uh, unless you get like a, a set, like the Anchor Bible commentary set. But, but I, I couldn't find any standalone books on Genesis that go chapter by chapter and do a commentary on it. So... What happened was, you know, the um, script, um, scripture scholar study from Gail Buckley, because she's mm-hmm. on your show all the time. Right. And they, they asked me to do a Bible study on Genesis a while back, and I did. And, and, and it was it's a nice study. A lot of people do it, use that study, but it, it's not a book. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to put this into a book, because there aren't any Catholic commentaries on Genesis, and it's the most important book of the Bible— it really is, because it lays the foundation for everything else. We'll get into that in a little bit. So um, I started to develop it. I did a lot of research and uh, reading on it, and I used a lot of Jewish sources, which is something kind of unique, I think, in my commentary, is that I use as, almost as many Jewish sources as I do Catholic sources. But So I, that's how it got started, and um, we had a lot of fun doing it. And in our Abraham DVD, our the documentary that we did on Abraham, I've, I've been to all the places of Genesis. So all the places that it talks about and mentions, I've been there. And it made it fun for me to write, and I think it'll make it fun for people to read, too, because I try to 
you know, I put them in the context. I put them there so they can get up. You know, just for a simple thing. Everybody, we see movies of biblical characters. They all have perfect pearly white teeth. Mm-hmm. But the reality is they didn't have dentists back then, and they didn't have toothbrushes and all the things that we do today. And when you go out into the Bedouin areas, even today, you'll see that the Bedouins don't have all their teeth. They may have three or four teeth. And um, this is I, I wanted to bring the real people of Genesis so that it's a fun book to read, I think. We're talking with Steve Ray, and he has a very recent uh, commentary, a new book on Genesis. It's actually entitled Genesis, a Bible Study Guide and Commentary, published by our friends at Ignatius Press, and actually just released very, very recently. I believe it came out. Did it come out just in August, right, or was it earlier than that? Yes. No, August. it was August. Yeah, so it's it's very, yeah. very recent. So this is it's a lot to tackle. I do think, though, that sometimes... When people think of Genesis, not that there's anything wrong with this, but you have so much more to offer in our understanding of it, because we always think about creation, but maybe not the rest of the Bible, or the rest of the book, I should say, of Genesis. Right. When people think of Genesis, they think of just the creation story, but that's only two chapters out of 50. Genesis is the second longest book of the Bible. Jeremiah is the longest book. Genesis is the second longest book. And people pick it up and they look at it and they go, wow, that's, that's, that's a lot of reading there, and there's a lot of funny names going on. And, well, maybe I'll read it next year. And they set it back down. But it's more than just the creation story. And another thing that happens, Teresa, is that people look at the creation story and say, well, you know what, we have uh, science now, so we don't need these fairy tales anymore. We can uh, dispense with the myth and the fairy tales that people used to believe, because we have science now, we know how things really got started. So, but Genesis is, uh, the creation's only two chapters, and it's a fascinating story of Genesis, because you have, I'll just, I'll show you how I break it down, and I think that'll help understand it. So you, I divide Genesis into two parts, really, it's obvious that it is, because the first 11 chapters, you really can't date them call them prehistory or primordial history, because those, we know the flood took place, but we don't know the date that it took place, for example. Mm-hmm. Then you come to the second part of Genesis, which is chapters 12 through 50, and you could call that recorded history or patriarchal history, the history of the patriarchs. But here's where you, get, you can start to put dates to it, because there were other civilizations that were writing and leaving behind archaeological evidence and so on. So from chapters 12 through 50, is recorded history. So you've got these two. So the first one is divided into four sections. Basically what I'm going to do right now is help people, if they remember these eight points, you've got Genesis, you can put it in your shirt pocket, you've you've got the overview of it, it makes it a lot simpler. So the first one, the prehistory, is creation, then the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. That's the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Wow. Creation, fall, flood, and the Tower of Babel. Then we go to the second half, and that also has four sections, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So you remember those two sets of four, you've got the whole book of Genesis on a little card, you can put it in your shirt pocket and remember the whole book. Wow. But not enough people do that, I imagine, right? No, because this is what I wanted to do with my book, is help people. Because people start reading Genesis and they don't know what's going on, when it happened, or 
and it's, it's confusing to people. So what I try to do in my book is I make it really easy. It's like it reads like a novel. Probably the biggest compliment I've received to date on it is Carolyn Lemon, who is the main editor at Ignatius Press. She's their senior editor. She wrote to me and said, I'm having a very difficult time editing your book. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> she said, because I start reading it and I get engrossed in the story and I forget that I'm editing it. Oh, so, that's really that a compliment, me, huh? That was a huge compliment because she edits 40, 50 books a year. And she said, I can't wait till it's out so I can just curl up in front of the fire and read it without thinking about the red pencil and yeah. everything. So, but so that's what I try to do, though, is make the book easy for people and break it down into creation, fall, flood, Babel, and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And that, that, that is really the whole outline of Genesis. And um, it, it gives us, whereas science tries to tell us the how, Genesis gives us also the why. Why did God do this? Why did he create? And uh, so, and in the book, I try to stay out of the weeds. There's a lot of academic debates and things that we could get tangled up in. And I wanted to keep the book easy to read. It's scholarly. It deals with all the issues. It deals with whether it's a six-day creation or an evolutionary, what does the Church require us to believe, all of these things. But it also is, it makes it easy and accessible to people so that it summarizes things for them. Yeah, because people hear Genesis, and sometimes they might think, oh my gosh, beyond creation, my eyes are going to roll back into my head. I won't be able to understand it. It'll be too long. It'll be too complicated. But no. Absolutely no. You're absolutely correct. This book... In studying and reading it, it is some of the most sublime literature ever written. It is exquisitely written. The stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph are so unique. They are such different characters. The flow of the story from father to son to grandson to great-grandson. And there's the difference in their personalities and how they relate to God and and each other. It's just a fascinating story. And once you get reading it, you can't set it down. And, and that's what I was writing it, Teresa, and I just I couldn't stop writing. And when I got done with Jacob and moved to Joseph, I was sad. I was really enjoying Jacob. <laughs> I got to know Jacob. I felt like he is my friend. And now I have to leave him and go to Joseph. And also another thing I did in the book throughout is where is the first time a word is used? Where's the um, the first time, say, for the word, we'll get into this in a little bit now, but where's the first time the word love is used? Where's the first time priest or camel or prophet is used? And it's really quite interesting to see where those words are first shown up in the Bible. We're talking with Steve Ray, author, speaker, convert, a pilgrimage leader, and we're talking about his brand new book, Hot Off the Press, is just released in August, by the way, published by Ignatius Press. It's a commentary and a Bible study on the book of Genesis. Steve, you've been to, to the Holy Land, to Israel, to that part of the world so many times, I mean, countless times, all over 250 times, I believe now. And you think someone like you, with your extensive knowledge of Scripture and the books you've written on Scripture and all the times, because when you go to those places, just like me with Italy, you get to really, really know the regions and the saints and the people right. of the land. Right. Uh, for you, what was new about Genesis? I just was impressed with the way it flows the story flows, 
and the characters are real. And the, whoever wrote it, it's Moses, we'll talk about that in a little bit too, was familiar also with the land because you could see he's writing as a person of that land. One of the things that I like is that I've been to those places, like I said. And for example, Abraham was 75 years old before God called him. He called him when he was 75 years old and said, Abraham, follow me. I'm taking you to a new place. And Abraham thinking, good grief, I'm 75 years old. You're wanting me to leave the land of my ancestors to, and there's a poem, I just love it. He says, I'm paraphrasing, you want me to leave the tombs of my ancestors? I've lived here my whole life. Who are you? You haven't spoken for four generations, and now you come thundering and tell me to move to a land that I don't even know, some mumbled nowhere. You come very late, Lord, you come very late, but my camels will leave in the morning. Mm. Wow. It just shows the faith of this man. So I've been to Iraq where this all happened. This is where he lived for the first 75 years of his life in a a city called Ur, U-R, Ur of the Chaldeans, and there's still the ziggurat there, the huge ancient 4,000-year-old pyramid that Abraham and his ancestors worshipped foreign gods. They weren't Christians. They weren't Jews. They weren't Israelites. They were Hebrews, but they lived in a land, and they worshipped the god Nana, the god of the moon. And the ziggurat there, the priestly ziggurat, where they came to offer their sacrifices, I went up on the top of it. It's still there. And the tombs where the people of Ur, they had human sacrifice. We'll get to that in a little bit, too. And you go to the tombs where you can see where the king died and all of the people that served him, 80 people, also died with him and were buried with him to join him in the afterlife. So to go there and to see those places and to it enables you to kind of make the story come alive. Amen. And, and we will continue to do that right after the break. We're chatting today with Steve Ray, his latest book, Hot Off the Presses, as we say, just out in August, all about Genesis. Genesis, a Bible study and commentary. And we'll take a look at some of the other important points of this incredibly beautiful book. And it'll bring you closer to Jesus and God, the Holy Trinity, all of the above. We'll be right back. Sixty on ten with Monsignor Charles Pope. The fourth commandment: Honor your father and your mother. This commandment enjoins on us young children not only obedience to their parents and even older children, great honor for them, but also gratitude for all of our elders, teachers, employers, and leaders. It also directs citizens to a proper love of our country. So it's a rich commandment, and it also puts great requirements on those who are in those positions to be worthy of the honor that is due them. This commandment is fundamentally given to us by God because without respect for our elders, there can be no teaching, and we cannot hand on the wisdom of previous generations. This commandment is rich, and it is for us. The fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother. For more about the Ten Commandments, visit EWTNRC.com. 
Does waving to a neighbor improve our well-being? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. According to a Gallup survey from last month, it does make us feel better. It's hard for some people to wave or even say hello to a neighbor. For some, it's just the opposite. In our community in Michigan, neighbors drive by and rarely wave. In Florida, where we spend some time, it's just the opposite. The survey indicates that people who regularly say hello to multiple neighbors have higher well-being scores. The perfect zone of well-being is six greetings. A greeting may be a wave, a hello, a fist bump, or even a grunt. There are other benefits like feeling safe, financial well-being, and even career well-being. In Scripture, 1 Peter teaches us to keep loving one another earnestly and show hospitality without grumbling. Check out the Journey Strong tab for more on how friendliness leads to well-being at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. I guess we could call this special show, this special edition of Catholic Connection, everything you want to know about Genesis, but we're afraid to ask, because we've got the guy who knows all about it, because he literally has written a book, and a very big one, but even though it is large in size, published by our friends at Ignatius Press, it's Genesis, a Bible study and commentary by our friend Steve Ray, it is very doable in terms of reading it. When you hear Steve Ray speak, and I know I've been with him all over the world, and we've done so many pilgrimages together, and shared our testimonies on the bus, and Steve speaks in a very down-to-earth manner, even though he's very knowledgeable on Scripture. He never makes you feel like, oh, I can't understand what God is talking about or what this means or that means. And that's why I was really excited that it was Steve who did this book on Genesis, and it's why we're diving into it. We're also going to be doing a series on this very program. This is kind of an overview, but we're going to break it down over the next couple of months and, and really dive into the different chapters to help you embrace Genesis more deeply. All right, Steve, so let's move on to who wrote Genesis and why that really does matter in terms of us understanding it. Okay, in the last hundred years or so, there's been a big, a big shift from uh, the scholars. Everybody believed that Moses wrote these books all through history. But, they, but scholars in the last hundred, hundred and fifty years came up with something called JEPD. It's a documentary hypothesis, and I don't want to start throwing out big words, but what they basically came to the conclusion is that the book of Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that's called the Pentateuch, the five scrolls, the law of Moses, those five books, Genesis being the first one, and that though they were really written around the 4th or 5th century B.C. That means 500 years after King David, so that it wasn't written early, it wasn't written at the time, um, it wasn't written um, by Moses. It was written by unknown authors only 500, 400, 500 years before Christ. And then somebody took all of those different writings. Some would, it's called Yahweh, as they call God Yahweh. And another writer uses the word Elohim for God. And so they say, oh, this guy wrote this part and this guy wrote that part and the priest wrote that. And then somebody knit them all together around 400 B.C., and that's what we have, the book of Genesis. So Now, that only took place 100, 150 years ago, and, and the scholars then thought they were much smarter than everybody else because, of course, they have computers. And the people of the past, there's this, uh, C.S. Lewis has this phrase, I love, chronological snobbery, that because we're modern, we know more, and we can dismiss what people in the past thought because they weren't as smart as we are. 
which is quite quite a joke, by the way. So, but let's I conclude in the book that it is mosaic. Moses is the author of it. It's his mm. material. So, what happens is all of the traditions of Abraham and those stories; those are carried forward. Those Eastern people remember those stories. They kept telling those stories. They remembered them. Moses wrote them all down. And also, he's up on Mount Sinai, and it says that God revealed them to him. And he wrote down these books. He wrote down what God had revealed to him. And he came down from the mountain, he wrote it all down, and he gave it to the Levites to keep. So these books were, according to the Bible, were written by Moses. The whole Jewish people, all through the Old Testament, believe they are written by Moses. When you get to the New Testament, Jesus refers to them as Moses' writings, the law and the prophets. Moses, is, Moses tells you this, or he, he just assumes that those Genesis is written by Moses. And the whole early church does, and the, all of the popes and the doctors in the church all believe that it was Mosaic up until 150 years ago, where these new scholars started to deny it, and most of them do deny it today. However, there's guys like Scott Hahn and other new scholars that are much more conservative and are moving the clock back a little bit, going back to saying that it's actually Moses. Now, so I conclude in my book it's Moses, and we and we deal with that issue in, in, in an easy way to follow. Now, why is it important that it's Mosaic? Well, because if the Bible says that it's Mosaic and it's not Mosaic, then the Bible loses its credibility. If, if I cannot verify, if I can't prove the things that are verifiable that the Bible says, how can I know the Bible's true with things I can't verify, like the fact that my sins are forgiven or there's a heaven? <laughs> I can't prove those things, but I trust the Bible. But if I can't trust the Bible and things that I can verify, then I have a problem. So when it says that Moses wrote these books and Moses says I wrote these books, I'm going to err on the side of the ancient scholars and not on the side of the skeptical modern scholars. And Moses is the primary author. It may have been edited a bit over time. Maybe they're all, somebody did collect all the writings of Moses and helped put them into a book. It really doesn't matter. They're mosaic. And the Church says they're inspired by God, and it's a unified story. So that's how I conclude that in the book. Okay. Talking with Steve Ray and his brand new book, which just came out in August and diving into it deeply today. We're going to continue to do that over the next couple of weeks and months with more on his Bible and commentary on the book of Genesis, just recently published by Ignatius Press. So let's talk about, this is another issue, and I know we'll probably have to continue it into the next segment before we wrap up, but when we think about Genesis, we do think about creation, of course. And you do address this in the book, which I think is super important, regarding creation and whether it is compatible with evolution. So what, what do you do with this in the book? Well, I, science has discovered that the Earth appears to be very ancient. It's old. It's not, you know, when I was a Protestant, I was taught that the Earth was created in about 6,000 B.C. on April 30th at 12 o'clock noon. I'm being a little bit facetious there, but that the people that believe in a young Earth believe that it was about 6,000 years ago, and they, um, some of them go right down to the month. But the reality is, is that we see there's dinosaur bones, there's a lot of things in archaeology, and the, the surface of the Earth that we, we know now that the Earth has been here a long time. So what does that mean? Does that mean science now debunked 
story of creation and we throw the Bible away because we don't think fairy tales anymore. No, what it says is, the way I view this is, God has written two books. He has written a book called Nature, and we look at nature and the world and we see that there's a lot we can learn about it, how it came about, when and different aspects of it. So we look at that book, and that is a book that God has written, and then we see there's another book that God has written called Scripture, and that's Revelation from God. Those are basically things we could never know with our five senses, smelling, tasting, hearing, touching, and seeing. Those are five very limited senses that we can't um, know everything using those five senses. And if you add microscopes and telescopes, it doesn't help a whole lot because that's just using your eyes more sharply. So the science that God has, the world that God has created, cannot conflict with the book that God wrote. The two have to be in harmony because they're both. he's the author of both. So what happens is we discover that the earth is old and there's dinosaurs and all these things, so we say, how do those two fit together? So I think it's very easy. The Catholic Church says you can believe the earth was created in six days, that's not a problem. That that's you know if that's what how you want to believe. But you can also believe that it was through an evolutionary process over a period of time, which seems to fit with the scientific model that we see when we study the Earth. And that in that case, it's I'll get we'll get back to that. Yes. the music, but I'll explain how we can understand it through the evolutionary process. Yes, that is very important. And Steve, not afraid to address these uh, very challenging topics, especially if you want to explain this to your friends as well, give them a deeper understanding of what the church teaches. More with Steve Ray. We're wrapping up our first introduction to this very beautiful new book, The Genesis Book, a Bible and Commentary from our friend Steve Ray, his website, CatholicConvert.com. Father Benedict Groeschel. I often go back to my childhood. In church, we love to be reverent, to Christ present in the Eucharist, to Christ on the cross. But I was also impressed by the reverence of my friends in the Salvation Army. They had a little band, and I used to walk past the band on Sunday morning on my way to church. And I was just a child, but I said, you know, they're trying to pray to God. They're showing reverence to God. All this was reverence. Now what do I see? I hear one irreverence after another. And week after week, month after month, the media churns out things that make fun of religion in general and make fun of Christianity in particular and particularly make fun of the Catholic Church. No class. Absolutely no class. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Today, many U.S. citizens chafe under big government and have actually turned anti-government. St. Paul, however, teaches that in some way, the civic authorities are ministers of God. Even King Jesus didn't consider it unjust to give taxes to Caesar. But we must never let Caesar or the king, the prime minister, uh, stand in the place of God and control our conscience. When ancient Israel demanded that Samuel give them a human king, Samuel warned them, that he's going to bring heavy taxes, he's going to bring a military draft, he's going to favor the rich. And when Jesus, the true king, actually arrives, he dies for his people, because that's what a true king is willing to do. King Jesus, still on the throne, no matter what presidents, dictators, or earthly rulers do, 
And we have to remember, we get our marching orders from Him. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Five minutes always go by quickly, or went by very quickly, with my dear friend, fellow pilgrimage leader, author, speaker, convert to Catholicism, Steve Ray. His brand new book, and I mean brand new, hot off the presses in the last month or so, came out in August. It is a Bible study and a commentary on Genesis, the Old Testament book of Genesis, and it's published by Ignatius Press. You can grab it at a number of locations, the Ave Maria Radio Bookstore, EWTM Bookstore, Ignatius, and of course, any other Catholic source on the internet. Okay, so Steve, I want to wrap up your thoughts that you wanted to share regarding creation and evolution and what the uh, Catholic Church says about it, but also what we're drawing from Genesis, and then wrapping up with the overall messages of Genesis. Okay, and, and just so you know, you can buy it on my website, the book at catholicconvert.com. If you right there, it's an autographed copy, a signed copy, and it helps our grandkids, and they're saving money to go to Catholic universities. So they're the ones that do it, you know, help out our grandkids if you buy that way. Okay, so... I, I was saying that the two that if the church says also that you can understand God's creation through an evolutionary process, but if you do that, you need there's three things you have to believe. First of all, that before the beginning there was only God. There was not matter or energy that didn't exist. God created everything out of nothing. So we have that's called ex nihilo, means out of nothing. God created everything out of nothing. Mm. And then second, life is a unique creation of God, whether it's tree life or animal life or human life. God created life. That's a unique creation that he did. And the third major point is that we have to believe that the human soul is immediately created by God at the moment of conception. He creates a human soul, and he puts it in that person, and from at a certain point, even if it was evolutionary process, a certain point, Adam and Eve are there, he puts a soul in them, and every baby that is conceived has a soul uniquely and immediately created by God. So those are the... Now, Augustine, he didn't hold the six days or an evolutionary process. He said, you know, God doesn't need to do any of those things. He said, God just, boom, he just did it all at once, and then described it in six days for people to better understand how he did it and why he did it. But it just, God just kind of snapped his finger, spoke his word, and it happened. So that, that those that's kind of a quick summary of, of what we deal with in the book about, um, about six-day creation or period of time creation or what. And um, it's a it's a fascinating study, but the Catholic Church we we don't throw the Bible away and say it's a fairy tale. We understand that science can tell us a lot of times how things happen, but they can't tell us why. Only God can reveal. And that's the Book of Genesis is so important because it's God's revelation of why He did this and how He did it, and what was before the beginning. So that's. That's why Genesis is such an important book. And the word Genesis means beginnings, and the whole book is full of beginnings. Yeah, absolutely. So, Steve, in terms of, uh, I mean, I know we're going to dive into this more deeply when we get closer to and start the series with you on this book, because there's so much to learn from the book of Genesis and, and your book in particular. What would you say were the key messages or the key takeaways from the book of Genesis for Catholics? Well, I wrote down this little paragraph because I knew you were going to ask me that. God created man with a free will. In other words, we're not robots. But he took a great risk when he did that, because that means that we could also use our free will against him. 
which is what Adam and Eve did. But God, out of his own free will, created us with a free will. The way I view it in the way I think Genesis portrays it, the Holy Spirit and God the Father and the Son, uh, that's mentioned the Trinity, but you see that in Scripture that they're having so much fun together, they laugh, they love each other, and they said, you know what, this is so wonderful, we should create creatures in our image to share all of this love and joy and happiness, and that's why he created it, so we know the why of this. He wants us to love him, and he wants us to know him. He wants to reveal himself to us. The book of Genesis is how that all got started. God created it. He put man in charge of it. There's like the vice regent. He's supposed to expand the garden and multiply the earth, and he's going to be God's co-creators. But then we fell away. We broke the trust with God. And so now he loves us enough that he didn't throw us away. He didn't just let us rot in our sin. He came up with a third option, and that was to bring redemption, even to the point of himself coming down and becoming one of us to redeem us back. And that's really what the story of Genesis is. It tells us where we came from, why we did it, who God is, why there's suffering in the world. It's because of sin. It's because we're bent now. We broke trust with God, and now what he's going to do about restoring us. And Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph are the story of how God begins the covenant, how he begins to prepare a people so that in the end he can restore and redeem all of us through his son who comes. So that's the overall story of Genesis, and it's really quite a fascinating story of how God begins us. And he draws, he's dealing with flawed human beings now. Right. When you get to Jacob, Jacob is so interesting. I can't wait to talk to you about Jacob. But God draws straight with crooked lines. He mm-hmm. uses flawed, sinful human beings to bring about his purposes. So do you have a favorite story, Steve, in Genesis? Oh, yeah. My favorite. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of them, but uh, my I think the all-time favorite for me is the pinnacle of the book of Genesis, chapter 22. It is the absolute pinnacle. It's the mountain peak. And that's where God tells Abraham to offer his son. And we say, we usually refer to the sacrifice of Isaac, but Abraham didn't sacrifice Isaac. He offered him. And so the Jews call it akidah, meaning the offering of Isaac, but he didn't actually sacrifice him. But that story, we're going to do, when we do our series, a whole series just on that one event, because how in the world could God require or ask human sacrifice sacrifice. yeah Mm -hmm. and and i deal with that and i think that's a really good explanation to help us understand that and um and that story though that's the first time the word love is used by the way Teresa. it's not with adam and eve you think it'd be adam loved eve she's so beautiful look at this woman but it wasn't there that love is first used the first time the word love is used is it says take your son your only son whom you love the word love is reserved for the love of a father for his only begotten wow. son, which is a picture of what's going to happen with God. The father gives his only begotten son to die, by the way, at the very same place where Abraham offered Isaac. 2,000 years later, another father is going to offer his only begotten son. And the second time the word love is used is of Isaac, who falls in love with Rebecca and marries her. So the first time the word love is used is a father for his only begotten son. The second time it's for a man who falls in love with his wife, which is a picture of Christ in the church. And you know, when you read about Abraham in Genesis, you can feel it in terms of the, what he's, he realizes God is asking him as they're going up you know, the mountain to what he thinks is going to be sacrificing his son. So it prefigures the, the love that God has for his own son and what he did yeah. for us. 
And, and twice in that little short passage, it says, and the two of them walked on, on together. And it's just, it, it, it's the, the emotion that elicits when you read the story, think about the words being used and the way the story is written. And when you struggle with the issues behind it, which we'll do, and I really, that, that's the longest chapter in the book because it's the pinnacle, it's the whole culmination of the story, in a way, of Abraham's faith in God. And, uh, and the two of them walked on together, and you can see God the Father and his son Jesus, who he brings. And the knife was, was drawn back from Isaac, but when God sent his son, the knife fell, mm. and his son did die. So that whole passage is my favorite, and the words used, and the way it was so exquisitely written is unbelievable. So what's next? I mean, after Genesis, that's a pretty big uh, chunk of the Old Testament to take on. Are you thinking about doing something else in the Old Testament, or what about your next book? What do you think? Well, I wrote one on John, and it's also called A Bible Study Guide and Commentary. And by the way, those two books both begin with In the Beginning. John begins with In the Beginning, and so does Genesis. And John is telling you that if you want to understand my book that begins with In the Beginning, you've got to understand the first one, Genesis, because they're tied together. So the next one, Ignatius already asked me to write a book on the Acts of the Apostles, which will be the birth of the Church. So that'll be the, the, um, the birth. So Genesis is the beginning of everything. Acts is the beginning of the Church. So the two kind of beginnings. God's well, I creation. Yeah, I think that'll be really world. important to have that as well, to have Genesis and then have Acts. Because I really think, and this is just my personal, you know, what, what comes to me in prayer, and I'm not a scripture scholar or anything, this is what I'm just sensing, what's going on in the world and the culture and in the church. I think we are back in the time of Acts in terms of the early church, where we're rebuilding through relationships and, and witnessing one-on-one, unleashing the gospel, as our Archbishop Vigneron talks about. But doing this on a one-to-one, like, relationship, community, Bible study, that kind of a thing going on, which was, you saw that very prominently in the early church. And the early church was a despised subculture, huh. which was being persecuted. And the Catholic Church today, we are now also a despised subculture who is now facing persecution. So, and, and the book of Genesis is the beginning of God's natural creation, and the book of Acts is the beginning of his spiritual creation, the Church. So the two will kind of flow nice together. So I'm working on, uh, on the book of Acts now. We're talking with Steve Ray, author, speaker, and convert to the faith, pilgrimage leader, catholicconvert.com. You can find his new book on Genesis, a Bible study and commentary there, as well as the various resources we mentioned, E.W. Chan, Ave Maria, Ignatius, and much more. We will also put a link to the book on the Catholic Connection archives. When you think about how you viewed the book of Genesis when you were not Catholic, I mean, what is it, when, when you're going through your, your study and your research for this book, I guess, let me reword the question, did you think back to your days and what you didn't all you did not know when you were not in the church about this oh, book yeah. and scripture? Oh yeah, because see I came from a very fundamentalist background, a Baptist background, and they were very literalist. Now I believe the Bible literally, but they would believe that it was actually the six days of creation and it had to be that way or you weren't a believer. I mean you were a God denier if you didn't believe in the six literal days of creation. And also Abraham, when I read and study now the book of uh, the Genesis of Abraham, and I see the process of his relationship with God. He wasn't just saved at one moment of time. And Genesis 15, 6 says, and Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous. We, met, we always would teach that at that moment Abraham was saved. 
just like if you believe on Jesus, at that moment you are saved. But we realize now that salvation is a process that God is working through us in our lives. And so there's a lot of things about Genesis that I view differently now as a Catholic than I did as a Baptist. Do you think, and I'm sure it will, I mean, the book is out now, you're going back to the Holy Land. Do you think this will help you in your sharing of Israel, that experience, being there where it all happened after writing this book? Even when I did the movie on Abraham that we did, our documentary filmed on location everywhere where Abraham was, and writing the book, it's it's when I'm on the bus now, I'm just going to, I'm always anyway bubbling over with things I want to share. For example, when we're driving down into the Judean wilderness, we're going out of Jerusalem, down the mountains, into the, down to the valley below, and the Dead Sea area. And oh, I, I love that. The Bedouins, all those Bedouins in their tents with their flocks and their sheep. I say to people, folks, look out the window. There's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's that young girl up there. See, that's Rebecca. She's up there watching the flocks. Wow. And it gives, it gives the whole, it, it helps me help them enter into the context of Scripture in the Catholic faith. So, yeah, anytime you write a book like this, especially on a, on a biblical or historical topic, it always helps then for you to bring others in and share it with them. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Steve, thank you for the gift of your knowledge and your love of the Catholic faith and helping us understand Scripture more deeply, especially with this brand-new Bible study and commentary on Genesis. And you can find out more information at CatholicConvert.com or also on the archive section. Thanks again, Steve. Look forward to our series, and we'll be right back to wrap up the program today. Stay tuned. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. One answer is Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide with 600 locations to continue living at home and not have to move into a nursing home. Their caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. Services are provided up to 24 hours per day, and you can select your caregiver before service begins. More information, including franchise opportunities, is on the web at visitingangels.com. The first annual Dominican Rosary Pilgrimage, sponsored by the Dominican Friars Foundation, will take place on Saturday, September 30th at the Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in Washington, D.C. This all-day event will feature conferences by Father Gregory Pine, resuscitation of the rosary, a fervorino by Father Lawrence Liu, and mass with Father James Brent as homilist. Join us for this day of prayer to Our Lady. For more information, visit rosarypilgrimage.org. That's rosarypilgrimage.org. 
This program is brought to you in part by Charity Mobile, a proud partner of Ave Maria Radio for over 15 years. Charity Mobile is the pro-life cell phone company and has sent nearly $2 million to thousands of pro-life charities. 4G LTE coverage is available nationwide, and 5% of your monthly plan price goes to your favorite pro-life charity. A video introduction is available at CharityMobile.com. Charity Mobile, everyday living, effortless giving. CharityMobile.com. I hope you know how much we appreciate your listenership here at the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, as well as the Ave Maria Radio Network. And we always say we are all about the resources. So just remember, anything you hear daily on this show, you can check out. You can go to, for example, the EWTN Religious Catalog through EWTN.com. You may also go to the archive section of Catholic Connection at AveMariaRadio.net. And all the resources are there for you. This is also a great way, by the way, to witness. Sometimes if you're challenged by a friend or a loved one on a particular topic and you hear us talking about an issue, right, that has come up, especially, right, over the holidays or a special occasion, you can go to or tell your friend or family member with whom you're discussing something to go to one of these sites and to listen to a program, or you can send them to the link to the program and they could hear it for themselves. That's why we call Catholic Radio part of being a member of the shy evangelist family, right? Because we do the evangelization for you and you can pass it on. We'll talk to you in the next edition of Catholic Connection. Thanks again for listening. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.